This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Yes, 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 yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me today, like he is every Sunday, it's Brian Com. I'm with you every day of the week, but on the podcast, I'm with you Sunday. Right, guiding me through all of my moves for my various hockey leagues, and also you're with all of the listeners, all the people on Twitter. You're an invaluable resource, Brian, and we appreciate you very much, but enough about you. Let's talk about this week's episode because we have so many players to talk about. As we say every week, we're presented by Daily Faceoff, your source for line combos, starting goalies, breaking fantasy news. That's the best website, dailyfaceoff.com. You go there, you get what you need to know to set your lineups to make your fantasy decisions. And if you don't believe me, check out the bonus episode we released earlier this week where I interviewed the editor-in-chief of Daily Faceoff, Brock Sagan. Did you listen, Brian? I did listen, and Brock and I have some similar opinions on one Paul Stasny, I noticed. Yeah, actually, after that episode where Brock said Paul Stasny might be a great buy low, we got quite a few tweets and questions on Facebook asking if people should be dropping various people for Stasny. Let's get to that a little bit later, but let's first get to our fantasy hockey headlines of the week. And headline number one is a lot of goalie shuffling. There's a lot of things going on with goalies. Some people are panicking. Some of them are named Brian Com. But we'll get to all that. But first, let's talk about the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Some news came out that Josh Gibson, when he comes back from his injury, he's likely going to be sent down to the AHL. And they are looking to sign Ilya Brizgalov to back up Frederick Anderson. So it's looking like the Jason LaBarbera era might be ending soon. Brian, what does this mean for Gibson owners? You know, I guess he's pretty useless unless it's a keeper league. And of course, should people be jumping to grab Brizgalov? What an era that Jason LaBarbera era was. And as far as Brizgalov goes, Frederick Anderson has handled himself pretty well in a little more duty than I think we were expecting to see from him so far. He started 21 games, has a 915 save percentage, 12 wins, all fantastic fantasy numbers. So while on the surface it's a bit of a surprise that Gibson is being reported by ESPN's Pierre Lebrun to be going to the AHL to work on his game this season, I guess maybe it's not that much of a surprise because they don't need him as much and perhaps they can give both of their goalies consistent experience through the season and they'll as a whole be better for it by the end. I think the person here that we haven't talked about yet is Ilya Brizgalov and I think he will sort of be a background factor for the rest of the year. He has not been too great over his last couple stints. Minnesota, he was decent. Edmonton, well, nobody can really be decent in Edmonton. He'll do better in Anaheim, and when he gets starts, I assume he'll put up a few more wins than he would have in Edmonton, and maybe a little bit of a better save percentage, but I think Anderson is still the guy, and if anything, this just bumps up Anderson's fantasy value in all formats, and also lends a little bit of intrigue to Gibson, who was like a surefire, you know, everybody wanted him as a prospect, especially in keeper leagues, And now he's going to fade away from the radar a little bit, which might make it a good time for you to acquire him if you are in a keeper league. So it sounds like what you're saying is you think that Brizgalov is going to be a for sure backup with no chance to challenge for the number one spot? 
Like, even if Anderson falters, you think there's no way that they give more than a couple starts in a row to Brizgalov? Yeah, I think so. Like I said, Anderson has a 9.15 save percentage. Brizgalov has not had a save percentage above that since the 2010-2011 season, back when he was still with Arizona, before even signing with Philadelphia. Since then, the best he's done in, like, a reasonable sample size of games is 9.09. And that was actually the year after, his first year with Philadelphia, which everybody knows was kind of a mess. Maybe not totally his fault, but my point being that Anderson's numbers are better than Brizgalov's have been over the last three years. Brizgalov is not getting any younger. I think he's there in a depth backup role. I think we're now looking at a clear number one, number two situation. I don't really see Brizgalov as even a 1B here, though he might play a little more than most number twos do. And moving on to the next team where the goaltending situation has changed, let's go to Chicago, where Corey Crawford is injured. The circumstances are not so usual. He apparently hurt himself coming out of a concert, and Brian did some uh, investigative tweeting looking into which concert it may have been. So you can check that out on our Twitter feed at Keeping Carlson. But the real news here is, of course, now Anti Ranta becomes extremely valuable in the short term, and he's really stepped up. He's played two games so far since Crawford's gone down, and he's picked up two wins, both with like, you know, safe percentages over 920. So two stellar starts. Then the new backup, Scott Darling, came in yesterday and played a gem against Nashville, getting the win and only letting in one goal, 970 safe percentage. So obviously, Ranta is someone you want in the short term. How about Darling, Brian? Is he someone that you could see getting some starts, especially after this good game yesterday? Or do you think Ranta's going to play the majority of the games until Crawford comes back and then Darling will just be shipped down to the minors? I think that's the more likely scenario. I got really excited and panicked when I saw that Corey Crawford's nameplate was being taken down in the locker room from that very first report that maybe something was going on in Chicago. Turns out he's out for two or three weeks. I thought it was going to be a lot longer. So I dropped Alexander Semin finally, which is positive, but I picked up Scott Darling, who maybe will get one start a week, maybe an extra one somewhere in there for the duration that Crawford is out. But Ranta, I think, will be the guy, although they do have really, really similar numbers so far this season. Granted, Darling has started four games and Ranta has started five. I think Chicago is probably one of those situations when you can throw in most average level goalies and they will do just fine and Darling and Ranta are apparently at least average. I think Ranta will be the guy that gets the lion's share of the starts in Crawford's absence but if you need a spot start every now and then keep an eye on Scott Darling. His game last night actually got me a really important win in my matchup and I thought of dropping him immediately when seeing that Crawford was only out for the short term but his starts he will probably put up good numbers and help your team as he did mine so I'm happy and I'm actually probably going to hold on to him for the whole two or three weeks, even though I don't expect to see him in action a whole lot. Okay, and the next stop is Dallas, and the news isn't as bright and shiny as it was for Anaheim and Chicago, where it seems like you want to have one of those goalies on those teams. In Dallas, it's kind of a disaster. Lettinen hasn't been great. Lindback was just completely horrible. He is gone now. He's finally been sent away, and there's a new era, like I mentioned in the bonus podcast. It's the UC Renus, Rhinus era. So he's the new backup in Dallas, but he definitely didn't have a great start in his first game with the team. He let in five goals against Detroit, ended up with an 824 save percentage. Just a disaster. Also, I should point out that for the first time in a long time, Kerry Lettinen actually had a great game yesterday against Montreal, got the win, only let in one goal. So I guess the question, Brian, is... Is Renus someone worth picking up? Because, you know, there still is this team with a strong offense and a somewhat struggling starting goalie in Kari Lettinen. So you would think that Renus might just have the opportunity to challenge for starts. Of course, the whole question is, is he actually any good? Just tell us what you know about UC Renus. UC Renus is a below average goalie at the AHL level. So I wouldn't expect him to be even average at the NHL level. I don't think he's anyone to get excited about. Which is unfortunate because I think if somebody with potential had the opportunity in Dallas' situation, they'd be able to take advantage of it. He's not that guy, though. And Lettinen is leaving the door wide open, but he's going to hang on to number one as long as those two remain the Stars' goaltending tandem. Do you know that Lettinen has not put up numbers this bad since his rookie season back when he was with Atlanta? Brian, that's bananas. Yeah, there's a pretty big difference between this year's Dallas Stars team and the 
2005 edition of the Atlanta Thrashers. So Lettinen owners don't feel too threatened by this. I just read in a rumors column that the stars are offering Eric Cole and Vernon Fiddler around the league looking for some goaltending help. I don't think they're going to get a whole lot if that's really the case. And I think Lettinen is probably safe for the next little while. I think Dallas has wider issues than just his goaltending, and maybe they sort it out over the next 40 games or so. Just hope that they have by the time your fantasy playoffs roll around. And for those of you who listened to the bonus episode from earlier in the week, I made my projection. I'm sticking with it. I think Lettinen will have value come the fantasy hockey playoffs. I have no idea when this value will start, but I feel like he'll be a good guy to have when the fantasy hockey playoffs come. So he may be worth hanging on to, even though he's not doing great. I think he actually is worth hanging on to, but I don't really have anything to base that on. I just, you know, have this hunch. I hope I'm right. And let's keep rolling now over to Calgary, where we're pretty much only talking about teams high in the alphabet, it looks like so far. But we're on Calgary, and it seems as if there's been a switch in who's the number one goalie over in Calgary. At the start of the year, it was Hiller, and Hiller was doing great. He was looking like a great late draft steal for a lot of people. In the month of October, Hiller played seven games, had four wins, a 941 save percentage. Everything was going well. Then in November, everything changed. In nine games, Hiller put up an 885 save percentage, and that opened up the door for Kerry Ramo, who has really just ran with it. After yesterday's loss against San Jose, Ramo's now played five games in a row. I don't know when Hiller's going to be playing again, but Brian... What's the status here? Is Ramo the new number one? What do Hiller owners do? Is it time to just drop him or consider him as a backup? What do you do if Ramo's available or if you're a Ramo owner? You gotta help us out here. I wonder if perhaps Ramo is one of the only players on the team left that hasn't used up all his luck. So far this year, things are going so well for the Calgary Flames. And I actually watched the game where they played against San Jose on Saturday night, and they didn't even look like a team that is seeing any luck that they don't deserve. They looked really, really good. However, they aren't quite as good as their record shows, and Carrie Ramo is not quite as good as his save percentage shows. So far, he has carried a 918 save percentage through 12 starts, but his career has been a 904 save percentage in 88 other appearances. So while he is running with it in Calgary, you said he started the last five games and he started six of the last seven, three of those six have been 900 or less in save percentage. He had two consecutive shutouts, which really helped his case. One against San Jose, who's really struggling. The other against Arizona, who, well, I don't know if we can call them really struggling because it's more what we expect from them. And another one of his good starts was against Arizona as well. All this to say, I think when the dust settles, I do very strongly believe that Jonas Hiller will be the one standing in the flames crease. Or maybe they'll split time more than we thought at the beginning of the season. But either way, I think both goaltenders are going to see their numbers fall at some point this year. I think it's going to happen. The more I watch, the less I believe it's true. But everything analytical points to this happening. So I guess it'll be an interesting case study for the rest of the year that way. So if I can parse what you just said, it sounds like you're saying if you have Hiller, hold on to him, maybe buy low if someone else has him. And you're saying if you have Ramo, sell high. I know you're saying that you don't think Hiller's numbers will even be that good because you think Calgary will, will regress as a team. But it seems like you're saying that if you have Ramo right now, you should sell high since you don't even think he's going to hold on to the starter role, let alone keep up these numbers. Yeah, if you can work what Ramo's done into acquiring a good 1B goalie on a better team, I would absolutely do that. Say Ramo for Michael Hutchinson, I would seriously consider that. And let's take one more stop on this goalie tour. Let's finally go to the bottom of the alphabet and check out St. Louis. We already spent a lot of time on last week's episode talking about how Martin Brodeur was going to be starting and Elliot was injured. Elliot is still injured. The news here, though, is very quickly, Jake Allen has not done that well since Elliot went down. He's led in seven goals over two starts. He actually got pulled in the last game, and Brodeur came in and did pretty well. Of course, in the game that Brodeur did start, he didn't do that well. And we started to get some questions. Should people be worried about Jake Allen at this point? Is Martin Brodeur maybe going to actually challenge since Allen is struggling? Brian, ease these people's minds if you can. It drives me nuts that if Martin Brodeur had any other name on the back of his jersey, 
This would not be a conversation. He stopped 34 of 39 shots so far. That translates to an 872 save percentage. He's not a threat at all to Jake Allen. I'm not even going to add a little unless clause in there in case he goes on a run or anything. He is not going to steal a whole lot of time. Maybe he'll be the 1B to Allen's 1A best case scenario. I don't think that's a wise move by the Blues, but they haven't been so wise with goaltending so far in recent years, especially considering what Halak is doing over on the island right now. Okay, so Allen owners... Try to relax. It should be okay. He's a good goalie. Brian and I have him in our joint league, and we're very happy with him. Hopefully, you can do the same. Let's move on to our second fantasy hockey headline. Let's talk about the Calder race and a player who I feel has sort of very recently jumped into contention. Someone who obviously was a potential contender at the start of the year, then he maybe disappeared, but right now I think he's making a glaring case for why he should maybe be the guy and not Tanner Pearson or Philip Forsberg or Johnny Gaudreau. I'm talking about Aaron Ekblad, who was the first overall pick in last year's draft, And he is super hot right now for the Panthers. He's got six points in his last four games, which is scorching for a defenseman, let alone a defenseman on the Florida Panthers. So, Brian, what do you think? Is Aaron Ekblad the kind of guy who's going to be able to put up decent fantasy numbers on the Panthers in his rookie season and thus make the strongest claim I think you can in his position? for the Calder Trophy this year? Well, we did give some Panthers their dues on the show two weeks ago, focusing on Nick Bjorgstad, who's produced shots consistently since the start of the season and has been putting up points regularly for the last 15 games now, including a five-point explosion in his last two games. But we've been tooting his horn for over a year now, and that's not who you asked about, Elon. You asked about one of his teammates that we have been conspicuously silent on and who we were totally remiss not to even mention two weeks ago during our Panthers bit. So yes, let's make up for it now. Aaron Ekblad is awesome. The 18-year-old rookie and 2014 first overall draft pick recently saw a season-high 25 minutes and 49 seconds of ice time, and it was well-earned. He is second in the league amongst defensemen in points per 60 minutes behind only Tyson Barry and hangs in the top 50 in shots per 60 minutes. He's not seeing the hardest minutes in Florida, but when you're on the Panthers, aren't they all kind of hard minutes? One last number that jumps out at me is that he's second to only Cody Franson in the number of first assists per 60 minutes, which tells me that he's not just kind of touching the puck and letting other guys make the play soon after he does. He's actually a part of most of the goals scored that he gets points on. Uh, Second assists have been shown to be questionable in terms of whether a guy actually helped to create a goal or was just lucky to be around. So we're talking about Eklad's first assists here. And here's one more point. Only two of his points on the season are on the power play. He's got 17 points in 25 games, 15 of them at even strength, 50 shots on goal for an 18-year-old defenseman. He's probably long gone in your league, but you should be very aware of where he stands in the fantasy realm. Yeah, you know, speaking of the Panthers, they may not be as bad, you know, as we may have thought they were at the start of the season. I mean, they have won six of their last 10 games. Roberto Luongo is just lights out, doing amazing what do you think about the Panthers overall? Like, are there some other players aside from Bjugstad and Ekblad that people should be keeping an eye on at this point? Yeah, we covered some of them a couple weeks ago, but let's give an honorable mention first to another Panthers defenseman, Dmitry Kulikov, who is putting together a great resume as a defensively sound blue liner, but don't confuse that with being someone who can help your fantasy team a whole lot. I just feel like on the show, we talk about the flashy guys who are scoring a lot of points, but Kulikov deserves some due, especially because I think a lot of Pooleys expected point production from him when he entered the league, and that hasn't happened, so they think, ah, man, he's no good. He's really good at what he does. But honorable mentions that are relevant to your fantasy team would include Jimmy Hayes, great name, and Vincent Trocek. I feel like these guys should be in a band together with names like that. I won't go into them too deeply right here and now, but your homework should be to take a quick look at them if you're in a deep-ish league to see if they can replace a snoozer or depth roster spot on your team. Yeah, well, both of those guys have over half a point per game so far, so definitely people to look at. Kids, you know, make sure to do your 
homework before you go to bed tonight. Next is a headline I kind of don't want to do, just because I feel like we talk about these teams so much, but I just get the feeling that we would catch some heat if we didn't talk about some recent injuries on the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. So let's just get to it. The Penguins it must be really tough to be a Penguins fan right now. It seems like everyone's injured. Kunitz, Latang, Dupuis, and now they finally hurt me. I thought I was immune, but Patrick Hornqvist is now injured. We still don't know for how long. They're checking for concussion symptoms, and I guess they're checking for his status, and we should know more today. Maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll already know how long Hornqvist will be out. In the meantime, the Penguins have Crosby and Malkin, and not much else in the top six. And normally this means that some players are going to get a bump, or you would think, because they're going to be playing with Crosby and Malkin. I wonder if maybe that's not the case, since there's like no other supporting people right now. But Brian, can you give us the quick status of who's in the top six in Pittsburgh, and if any of the non-Crosby Malkins are worth owning at this point? To answer your question, Elon, I'm going to ask you another question. Over the last however many years and however many discussions, have any of the guys that we've mentioned as replacements on that line been worth holding on to for very long in fantasy hockey? (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I can't think of a name of someone right now. I know last year we talked about Lee Stempniak. He didn't really pan out. Uh, Wasn't UC... Okay, UC Jokinen was a good one playing with Malkin. I'll say he's maybe the best. Okay, and where is he now? On Florida? Yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm going to do this for all our listeners, but I don't think that it's worth looking into that much unless you're so desperate for a few games of production, which okay, maybe some of you are and that's okay. But the name I'll throw out today that will soon join the pile of Bennett's and Suiters and Comos and Boychucks is Nick Spalding. There you go. I said it. Nick Spalding. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all I have to say. He's playing on the top line. What more do you want? <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to just do a quick extra favor. I went to Daily Faceoff. Currently, the top power play on Pittsburgh contains Brandon Sutter. And Sutter is on the second line with Malkin and Como. So maybe you get some extra juice from Sutter at this moment. Also, since Latang has been injured, I don't think he's going to be out for much longer. It looks like Paul Martin is getting some extra power play time now. So those are some people. But I guess, Brian, your point stands. It doesn't seem like any of these guys are really worth grabbing in hopes of long-term success, especially since we'd hope, I hope with Hornquist, fingers crossed, these aren't long, long-term injuries. But they are the Penguins. They are playing with Crosby and Malkin. So people playing with those guys are going to pick up some assists and goals just based on their line mates. They will. And watching the game against Ottawa on Saturday afternoon, both Crosby and Malkin were fantastic especially Malkin. If you're a Malkin owner, you should be very excited about the way he's playing right now. Okay, and now to Anaheim. Corey Perry is injured, much like Hornqvist. It's not known at this time how long he's going to be out for. But in the meantime, you still have Ryan Getzlaff, and I think there is still value of playing with Getzlaff. Obviously, it's not the same as playing with Getzlaff and Perry, but I just read on Roto World today that Devin Smith-Pelly is going to get another opportunity on the top line with Getzlaff and whoever's currently on the left wing. According to Daily Faceoff, I see Renee Bork there. I know that Matt Belisky had some time. So, Brian, do you think that Smith-Pelly or any other Anaheim players get a short-term bump while Perry's out? If a player moves to the Anaheim top line, but Corey Perry is not on it, is it really the same as being Anaheim's top line? It's like a tree falls in the forest kind of thing. You're getting very philosophical here. I'm just maybe trying to take a different angle on things here. Again, another topic we discuss all the time, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Don't misinterpret the tone in my voice for being upset or angry (laughs) about these things, but I don't see a whole lot of value. Sure, if you're playing with Ryan Getzlaff, you might get a bump. It's great to play with Ryan Getzlaff, but it's not as great as if it was Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff and Devontae Smith-Pelly and Rene Bork do not belong on a first line, even with Ryan Getzlaff. I wouldn't invest in any ducks that might pop up as his line mate unless you're looking for extremely short-term value. And by value, I mean like throwing a dart at a dartboard while blindfolded. 
<laughs> wow, okay. Well, also, I saw Smith Pelly might be up on the top power play. So we'll see. <laughs> Let's move on to the next headline. Let's move on to happier news. Let's go to outjuries. And we actually didn't mention an outjury last week that is definitely worth mentioning because Victor Hedman is back. His injury is over. Any chance you had at buying low on, I don't know, trigger happy owners who like having players who are not in the IR. It's all gone because Hedman is back and he is continuing his amazing season. He actually only had one game of production so far in his five. He had three assists, though, in that game. So it makes his overall numbers good. But I'd imagine at this point we could get back to our discussion of what's Hedman's value versus the other elite fantasy defensemen like Carlson and Subban and now Giordano's in the conversation. And actually, Brian, we've received some questions recently on the patron-only Facebook group. We've been having a discussion about, is Carlson, you know, the holy grail that we sort of put him on? Is he as amazing as we say? How do some of these other guys compare at this point? What about Hedman for Carlson? What about Giordano for Carlson? So what's your stand right now? How would you rank the four fantasy defensemen? Carlson, Subban, Hedman, Giordano. Well, Elon, like you're implying with that group of players, Victor Hedman, if you didn't buy low on him this time and like it might have been hard you probably never will be able to again I think he's established himself as being one of fantasy hockey's elite defensemen and he does belong in that top tier that is happily growing this year and last with Eric Carlson and P.K. Subban and Shea Weber having been the mainstays now we can add Mark Giordano and Victor Hedman confidently to that group Maybe their point production isn't quite as high as, say, Eric Carlson, but they do put up some really good peripherals that in many formats will help them sort of even out that difference. The drop from Carlson and Subban to the next guy is not as big as it once was, and that's really great to see. I'm happy about that. All right, so then, just to put you on the spot, just for the rest of this season and just points only, rank those five guys. Carlson, Subban, Hedman, Giordano, Weber. That's what I'm going with. All right. It'll be interesting to see if that's correct. Everyone take note. Tweet at Brian as the year progresses to tell him where he was wrong. It's hard to predict a ranking of five. It's hard to get that right. I might actually say that I think Giordano is low there. I have been thinking now since last season, like, how is Giordano putting up all these points? And he hasn't slowed down since he came back from his injury last season. I think I might be on the Giordano train right now. I still like Carlson the best, though. I might even go Carlson, then Giordano, then Hedman, then Subban, then Weber, but it's tough. Okay, next headline. The rumor is that Phil Kessel is injured, and even though he has been playing, he hasn't been so productive lately. And yes, this potential injury might be the cause. He only played 14 minutes in yesterday's game, and as an owner of both Kessel and Tyler Bozak, it was kind of disappointing to see that the Leafs scored five times, and I got nothing out of both of those guys. Even Nazem Kadri didn't get any points. So it was really a game for the bottom half of the Leafs forwards. Brian, do you think people should be concerned? I see weird messages on Roto World. Like, they're like, oh, just FYI, Kessel might be injured. So, you know, set your lineups accordingly. Like, what are you going to do? Not play Kessel if he's scheduled to play? Yeah, I think it might be if you're in a really shallow league and you have somebody who's almost as good or not a terrible second option to Kessel where the gap isn't so high. But most leagues, you're going to want to keep playing Kessel. And if he's injured, that's a concern for you. But it should be a bigger concern for Bozak owners. We pumped up Bozak on last week's show saying that as long as he's with Kessel, you can expect his point totals to keep rising. Kind of like a Kunitz-Crosby sort of thing, except of course we give more credit to Kunitz on his own than we do to Bozak. But we actually should have added something, and that something was added by Scott Cullen over at his excellent Statistically Speaking column at tsn.ca, which you should be reading every single day. And the clarification that we should make is that Bozak will do well as long as he's with Kessel on the power play. Bozak is one of the league's best producers at five on four, but is barely in the top 200 forwards in the league when it comes to even strength production per 60 minutes. He's down there with guys like Brian Gionta, Josh Juris, Eric Nystrom, Mike Richards. He's got 10 of his 24 points with the man advantage and two shorthanded, so that accounts for half of his total output this year. So, if the Toronto power play fizzles or stops getting opportunities, he's going to struggle. And until then, of course, power play points are a very positive thing for most pulleys, and they'll be happy to have Bozak filling two categories with most of the points he scores, but I am sounding a warning on Bozak. 
and you might want to see what you can get if you try to sell high on him, especially, like you mentioned, Elon, given the recent comments from Randy Carlyle, where he mentioned that Kessel is playing with some injuries and he might need some more rest than he's gotten so far. Yeah, I did my best to sell high on Bozak. I had a guy in my league who I was pretty sure was a Leafs fan. He was inquiring a lot about Kessel. I didn't want to trade him. I made an offer, which I was so sure he would accept. I offered Bozak for Ryan Callahan. And it got rejected. I was very disappointed. I thought that I had that. So for now, I'll still be riding Bozak. But just like you say, I'm going to take your advice and still try to sell him if I can to get a solid player in return. Next fantasy hockey headline. What are we at? Number five? Number six? I haven't been counting. But I want to talk about the Detroit Red Wings. I specifically want to talk about Pavel Datsyuk, who I feel like has very quietly come back from his injury. But he's put up eight points in his six games since returning. And... No one's really mentioned him, but Pavel Datsyuk is back in a big way, putting up big fantasy points. And there's another guy in Detroit who we talked about yesterday, but who has kept it up since the return of his injury, Stephen Weiss. His count now is 10 points in eight games. So, Brian, it's seeming more and more like Weiss might be for real as a good option, and it's seeming like Datsyuk is back to being an elite fantasy producer. What's your take? Well, let's not go crazy about Stephen Weiss. He did have another assist for Detroit last night. That gives him 10 points in seven games. But his ice time still hovers around the 13-minute mark. So for him, I preach cautious optimism. That's what I'm going with right now. You can add him in your league if it makes sense for your team. But I wouldn't rush or do anything risky to do it. Pavel Datsuk, thankfully, is still going strong. He's back. He's doing well. I still am concerned about his injury because this is the sort of injury that is kind of recurring and he is getting older. So you don't want to be relying too heavily on Pavel Datsuk for your team's production. But if you have him, I think you can still feel fairly comfortable with what he's going to do for your team over the rest of the year. But looking at the bigger picture in Detroit, it's like the year of the depth forward there. If you look at the points for 60 minutes at even strength, you've got Darren Helm, Thomas Jerko, Justin Ablocator, and Riley Shane outpacing the likes of Johan Franzen, Henrik Zetterberg, and Gustav Nyquist, and by decent amounts, too. The most interesting one of those depth forwards to me is a guy that I actually just added myself, Thomas Jerko. The 2011 second-round draft pick was a point-per-game player over 32 games in the AHL with Grand Rapids last year, and then he put up just shy of a half a point per game in 36 games with Detroit in his rookie season. He started this season very slowly, with just two points in his first 14 games, but he's added two goals and six assists over his last 10 games while getting close to two shots per game, which isn't anything to write home about, but it's decent. Nothing here screams slam dunk for this season about Thomas Yurko, except for the fact that he is a Detroit prospect in his early 20s, and the Red Wings tend to know what they're doing with player development. He's going to be the next guy to emerge there, now that the secret of Gustav Nyquist is out. The sheltered minutes and top unit power play time that he's seeing are going to help that coming out process, and if you feel like adding him just to see what happens, I certainly wouldn't argue against it. All right, so you added Yurko, or Jerko, I think you said. Is Stephen Weiss available? I'm curious to know who you would add if you had both available. Stephen Weiss is not available, and if I had the choice between the two, I think I would have chosen Stephen Weiss. All right, cool. Nothing against Jerko, but it's interesting to just get exactly what the perspective is here. I'm obviously concerned about his playing time as well. Weiss, I will say in his benefit is while he is still getting only 13-14 minutes a game, he does seem to be getting a decent amount of power play time, which is, you know, the most productive time to be out there. It's true. One more headline. Let's all maybe get off the train because speaking of power play time and playing time, it's looking like John Klingberg may have been a bit of a bust. I don't want to go too far, and obviously I'm only talking about this season, but yesterday in Dallas's very nice and dominant win over Montreal, Klingberg played less than 14 minutes. He got zero minutes on the power play. Obviously, he didn't get any points. That shouldn't be surprising with that kind of usage. At this point, Brian, do we have to all sadly drop Klingberg and try to get Trevor Daly back? That was actually the question that Jay on our Facebook group asked yesterday. Should we be just dropping Klingberg and trying to get Daly back if he's still available? I'm not sure the thing with Klingberg was ever destined 
to be a very long-term marriage. We said from the outset that he would go as far as his minutes take him, and Elon, you just detailed how his minutes are not taking him very far. 14 minutes total ice time, none on the power play. He seems to have taken a step back in his deployment. He is now not seeing as many offensive zone starts as he was when he first showed up. Daly and Goldogoski are getting the lion's share of those. I'm not that excited about his future, at least in the short term. I feel like if there's a reasonable option that has proven themselves to be able to get like a 30, 35 point pace, you should be going with that guy instead of trying to shoot for the moon with John Klingberg, because I don't think it's going to happen this season, at least not on a consistent basis. And I mean, I should clarify. So last game he played 13 and a half minutes. Before that, he didn't have any games less than, you know, 20. I think there was like just barely under 20 for the last couple of games. So I'm not sure. I'd be very curious to see what's going to happen with him over the next few games. Maybe that was an anomaly. And next game, he'll be back on the top power play and playing over 20 minutes. But of course, Dallas did win for the first time in a while. So that makes me think that probably they're going to stick with what is working for them, which isn't great news for Klingberg owners. And so, Brian, of course, the flip side, like I kind of hinted at, Trevor Daly is back. It's looking like on the top power play. He played huge power play minutes yesterday. Do we get back on the Daly train now? I think you can hop back on if you want to. This is going to be, I think, a fairly volatile situation over the rest of the year. Dallas is going to keep seeing what works for them. But like you said, they won last night against Montreal. They won 4-1. to They only gave up one goal. I feel like whatever they did that game, they're going to try and continue doing I wonder if that includes scratching Alice Hemsky. Yeah, I didn't even mention Hemsky got scratched yesterday in this win. So that's obviously not great news for the people who maybe jumped on the Hemsky train. I know you're going to get mad at me for keep saying train. But yeah, he scored a goal recently. And so maybe some people thought, all right, finally, Hemsky's going to get back to producing. But a healthy scratch obviously doesn't help his case. No, I saw one little blurb that said maybe Coach Lindy Ruff is losing patience with him. So I don't know. I don't know if Lindy Ruff is actually losing patience with him. I haven't spoken to him lately, but I wouldn't be too heavily invested in Hemsky at this point, just like Semin. Okay, Brian, I've just set it up in our league. I'm about to hit confirm. Give me the okay. Are we going to drop Klingberg and pick up Daly? Do it. And done. I just did it. So any of the people in our league listening, it's too late. Well, you could take Klingberg if you want. You can make a waiver claim. All right, and finally, that's it for the Fantasy Hockey Headlines. Before we move on to some other players we wanted to talk about, let's quickly thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson, who are very generously supporting the podcast, but getting, I think, nice rewards in return. So the patrons I specifically want to thank who have joined recently are Brett Duboff, Tarn Montagu, Brett Zeno, Tom Moffat, and Vitaly Namushin. Thank you so much for your patronage. We really appreciate it. And I want to mention, for any of you who might be considering becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, we're asking for a measly $5 a month, you know, about a dollar per episode, less if you include the bonus content we've been putting out. And you get to join our patron-only Facebook group, which is basically like a mini reddit.com slash r slash fantasy hockey. People are asking questions, helping each other. Brian and I jump in. We have a lot of fun there. Plus, this Wednesday, we'll be recording our patron cast, our patron-only podcast where people will be able to ask us questions live. We're going to have a really fun chat. It was really fun last month. Hopefully, the technical issues will be even better this month now that we actually know how to use Google Hangouts. So it's not too late to sign up to become a patron, to join the patron cast on Wednesday, to join the Facebook group, and of course, to support a podcast that you find enjoyable and helpful. Yeah, I've actually found that a lot of the players we get tweeted questions about over the course of the week are players that we are already discussing or have already discussed in the Facebook group. So if you want to get a jump on those things, you can join the group. Also, we do have an option that you can contribute just $1 a month That means you flip us a quarter every time you download and listen to the podcast. We would really appreciate just having you counted and being on board as a patron of the show. All right, but enough advertising from us. But hey, you know, guys, it could be worse, right? We could be promoting, I don't know, Audible, Stamps.com, telling you how much we enjoy the snacks from Nature Box. We're not bothering you with that. We'd love for you to become patrons. Brian, I want to talk now about some players who we have hinted at throughout the season as being potential snoozers, people that maybe you should be dropping from your roster because they're not doing much for you, but that have 
recently shown some signs of life and have made themselves now reinvigorated as potential fantasy options. So Brian, tell us about a couple of players who you think might have earned back relevant status. Right. So we were getting a lot of questions. Is it time to drop this guy? What's the deal with this guy? And yes, Elon, like you said, they almost wound up in the snoozers column, except vital signs are starting to show and they're faint but present in Christian Erhoff. He has two goals and two assists to give him four points in his last nine games, which is enough to make him worthy of an ad in very deep leagues where he's a free agent. If you've already got him, I'm sure you've been tempted all year to cut bait, but now is not the time, especially with Latang on the shelf for two weeks with a groin injury. Elon already touched on how the Penguins are adjusting on the power play with Latang out, and it is worth noting that Erhoff's time has not been upped yet because they've shifted from four forwards to three, with the two defensemen being Ole Mata and Paul Martin on the first unit. But still, Erhoff managed seven shots on goal versus Ottawa on Saturday night. And even though the Sens are one of the worst defensive teams in the league... That's still something. He's throwing a couple hits, blocking a shot here and there, and by the luck of the draw, his two most recent goals were both game winners. Perhaps it's turning out that he was overrated at the start of the season and our expectations were too high, but if he extends the pace of his last nine games, he's going to end up in the mid-30s by the end of the year, which isn't fantastic for what we thought we'd get from Erhoff. It's not what we were all hoping for, but it's still good enough to be a third or fourth defenseman in some leagues. All right, so Erhoff's the first player. I know you have another couple of people who are former potential snoozers that are now potentially worth keeping. Okay, I'll give you two more, Elon. One is Tomasz Hurdle, who has six points in his last ten. He's playing on the top line with Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton. He's averaging nearly four shots a game over his last five contests, which is really reassuring. It's a very nice correction for the category in which he fell off terribly to start the season and to which we attributed his lack of scoring early on. He's got 10 points in 16 games since the start of November. If you've lost track of him, now is a good time to get reacquainted. And finally, a quick mention for Dustin Brown of the LA Kings. Now, last year, he was like a 30-point player. Before that, he was known for getting like 50 or a little more. A lot of poolies like to grab him, especially in leagues that count hits, because he can also put up a few points to go along with them and some shots, but he hadn't been doing any of that this year until the last 10 games or so. In his last 10 contests, though, he has 35 hits, 8 points, and 24 shots on goal, which in leagues that have a lot of those categories included is actually quite valuable. He could be a good short-term ad, and you can see where he goes from here. Okay, and then I'm going to throw in a couple of players that go along with Hurdle and Brown. I want to mention, first of all, I think a mistake that I made. At this point, it's feeling like a big mistake. I dropped Tommy Winkles right before he has done even better than Hurdle in the past little while. Winkles has four goals and six assists in his last six games, which is heartbreaking because I dropped him. But it is worth noting the reason I dropped him was because he was playing on the third line with a bunch of nobodies, and now he's back playing with all-star caliber players. He's with Logan Couture and Patrick Marlowe, and you can't ask for two better line mates to help you produce points, but Wingles definitely shouldn't have any credit taken away from him. He's been amazing. There's a couple of guys on the Facebook group who are pretty funny. They love Wingles, and they like to remind me that I made a dumb mistake. But okay, I will actually say a good thing I did to counteract it so you guys don't think I'm dumb and stop listening to the podcast. I did convince Brian recently that we do want to re-pick up Mike Ribeiro after we had dropped him because he was in a bit of a slump. And that was right before Ribeiro has started a bit of a hot streak. He's got three goals and two assists in his last four games. So things are looking really good for him and his teammates over on the first line in Nashville. It's interesting, actually, Elon, what's happening with the first line in Nashville, because I would expect Ribeiro to still see some regression. I'm happy to go along for the ride for as long as he goes, which is longer than I would have thought to start with. But a teammate of his on that first line in Nashville is definitely feeling the regression, and that's Philip Forsberg. It's not for lack of trying, though. He's seen goose eggs for goals in games in which he's had nine shots on goal and five shots on goal, but he's managed just three points in his last eight games. Don't freak out completely. Nothing strange is happening. He hasn't become a worse scorer overnight. 
He's still the same hockey player he's been all year, but nobody can escape the long arm of luck, and he is no exception. He's taken enough shots so that his goals-to-shots ratio looks somewhat reasonable, but the concern is that the same can't be said for his teammates like Ribeiro and Neal while he's on the ice. If you own Forsberg and you didn't sell high, you're going to have to tolerate the bad with the good as puck luck evens itself out, which means more runs like this and fewer runs like the 13 points that he put up in seven games a few weeks back. I wouldn't be shocked if Forsberg takes on, say, a 45-point pace, give or take the rest of the way, which would see him land at around the 55-60 to point mark at the end of the season. If that turns out to be true, then keep in mind he's already collected a disproportionate amount of his points compared with how much of the season has passed. Keep that in mind when you're evaluating him against free agent options and in trades, though don't swing too far the other way and start undervaluing a top-line, top-power-play unit guy on one of this year's best teams to date. So that stands for Forsberg, also for Ribeiro. I think that stretch will come where he doesn't produce a whole lot over a span of six or seven or eight games, and essentially I'll have the exact same thing to say about him then, minus the amounts of shots he's taken because Ribeiro is not a shot taker. Yeah, I'm looking at the profile for Forsberg right now while you talk about him on ESPN, and they show the most recent Roto World comment, and after his one goal and one assist game against St. Louis a few days ago, they wrote that Forsberg is running away with the Calder Trophy race right now, and I, I disagree. I think that Aaron Ekblad would have it right now if it was up to me, but it's not. Maybe one day Brian will be hockey media and considered worthy of having a vote in that. How cool would that be? That would be pretty cool, I guess. Also, we don't mention this type of thing very often, but Forsberg is center, left wing, and right wing eligible on ESPN, all the forward positions, so he has extra value. You might call him Forwardsberg. Nice. Very nice. Okay, and actually, I wanted to go back because I was going to also tie someone to your comments on Dustin Brown, who you said is kind of heating up. Another guy on LA who is really heating up is Justin Williams. He has nine points in his last 10 games, which gives him 13 in 26 on the season. So that tells you what you needed to know before those last 10 games. But now he's back to being a really great producer. Maybe now he's overproducing, but I definitely think Justin Williams is worth a look. I feel like LA is rebalancing where you've got your Williamses and your Browns and hopefully soon your Kopitars as the main point producers while the Toffolis and the Pearsons will sort of fade into those lower lines. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about Williams. Like you mentioned, when his point totals, he had a terrible start from the year. You can deduce that from him having nine of his 13 points of the season in his last 10 contests. I'm ready to make a move in our league for him, Elon. I've really been holding on tight to Clark MacArthur, but I'm ready to make the switch for Justin Williams. What do you think? Well, you've always been the one to really love Clark MacArthur more than me, so I'm definitely okay with that for now. I don't think MacArthur will get nabbed by anyone else. We could always take him back if he heats up, but I don't see that being likely because the Senators just don't seem to score very much anymore, and I'm concerned that there may not be anyone with that much value on that team right now aside from Eric Carlson. Bobby Ryan had a couple points last night, which is good. But yeah, MacArthur, Tourus is another guy who's not doing much. I'd make that move. And we actually mentioned a couple Sens who were flying beneath the radar and Mike Hoffman and Mark Stone a few weeks back, and they've actually fallen off. They did, you know, keep it up for a little bit, but then they fell right off. And the Sens are a team that's tough to find value on lately. Except, Elon, you noticed Mika Zibanejad. Well, yeah, Zibanejad is... A very risky option in fantasy because recently he had a couple of healthy scratches, which makes him a very dangerous person to have on your team. You don't want to have someone who's not playing, but he does have three points in his last three games. He seems to be having a nice role getting power play time in the short term of all the people on Ottawa who might be available in your league. I take a look at Zibanejad. One thing with the Sens, and I think it's contributing to a lot of the problems team-wide, is that their lines are being constantly shuffled. So minute counts change. It's hard to figure out who a guy's going to play with from night to night. Zibanejad's minutes have fluctuated between 13 and 18 minutes, or just under 18 minutes each night. And I guess it's important to see if those lines ever do land somewhere to see who he'll be playing with. I think expectations were a lot higher. He was a guy who I felt a lot of people could pick in the later rounds of their drafts this year and come out ahead. He was actually a guy that I was after in my own draft. I'm glad that didn't pan out. He's not going to do it this year, probably. The Sens are not a great place to be for fantasy value right now. In fact, if this continues a lot longer, I'm going to have to revisit my early season comment about the worst teams to own a player from. 
And I said Florida in that group, and I guess I have some egg on my face now about that. But the Sens might be starting to enter that territory. They are constantly outplayed and outshot and outattempted in every game they play. Of course, Eric Carlson has 19 points in 26 games, so he's the one glowing exception. Brian, we're nearing the end of the show, but of course, we have to give our listeners the patented Keeping Carlson Snoozer of the Week segment. I've actually got a snoozer, so how about I'll get started, and then you'll give the one you wanted to talk about. Please, go ahead. Andre Burakovsky. Good pronunciation. Was a healthy scratch yesterday in Washington. Before that, he was getting like five minutes a game, sometimes 10 minutes a game. He hasn't been used in a way that makes him fantasy relevant for a long time. He had a pretty good start to the year with eight points in nine games in October. But at this point, you definitely need to be dropping Burakovsky for someone who's actually used by his team in a somewhat relevant capacity. Good one, Elon. My snoozer or would-be snoozer is Riley Smith. He was definitely snoozing just 10 points in his first 26 games. He was seeing really tough minutes, though that's not a good reason to own a guy in fantasy hockey. But he did just put up four points in his last two games, which is exciting. He's still playing on the top power play unit. His line mates are Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. And all those things sort of combined to say maybe he did have 20 goals and 51 points last season. And so I guess there's renewed hope with this last two-game explosion. I don't even know if that's a fair word for four points in two games. So what would have been a snoozer if we recorded this four days ago is now a maybe pick up if he's a free agent in your pool. Actually, definitely do not pick up, but add to your watch list. That's the best you can do. If you have him on your team, depending on your league, he's still considered a snoozer in my books. Check your free agent pool. Make sure there is nobody who is a better option right now than Riley Smith. I would probably bet that there is. Anybody getting over a half a point per game is probably a safer ad right now than Smith. Okay, well, I'm definitely happy that we didn't record this podcast four days ago, or people would be very mad at us if they dropped Riley Smith for having zero points in his last whatever million games, and then he'd get four points in his next two. But, all right, you've conceptualized it in the way it needs to be. He might be a snoozer. He might not. He's showing signs of life. I'm very curious to see what will happen over the next few weeks with Riley Smith. And, Brian, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. I feel like we jammed a lot of players in there. Hopefully people will find something valuable that they can change or they can do in their league. Sometimes even the most valuable thing you could do is stand pat. So don't feel pressure to make a move just because we suggest it. But let us know on Twitter if you did end up making a move because of something you heard on the podcast. You could follow us at Keeping Carlson. We love getting your tweets and answering your fantasy hockey questions. Also, if you want to go beyond following us on Twitter, we especially love when our listeners give us a five-star review on iTunes. You can only do it once. So if you already gave us a five-star review on iTunes, I don't want to seem ungrateful. Thank you so much. That really helps. And I think that's the best way that we can get more exposure and get more listeners to the show. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes, it's really easy. You don't even have to leave a comment if you don't want to. You could just click the five stars. Of course, a glowing comment couldn't hurt either. And I already said it before, so I won't get into it. But if you want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson, you definitely can. Just go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And with that, let's cue the outro music and Brian, read us the credits. Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Daily Faceoff. It was supported by our patrons and it was produced and presented with research from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports, Roto World, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again next week. Me too, Elon, and until then, why don't you make sure you keep on keeping Carl Sand?